0: Okay guys, we are going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, Last season, we only had um, two episodes that were related. And so, but starting out this second season, we are going to start with this series. And it's one that I am super excited about, if I'm being honest. Uh, It is about unifying the diaspora. So I wanted to go over a few things before we hopped into it. One is what the heck is even diaspora mean, right? Um, You'll hear diaspora, you'll hear diaspora. I don't know how else it's pronounced. I say diaspora. Uh, But when we talk about the diaspora, we are talking about anywhere black people are scattered throughout the world. We're talking about from Africa to Europe to South America to North America to Australia, wherever we are. Um, we are talking about where we are in the world. So when we say unifying, which is going to be the this series name, unifying the diaspora, that's what we're talking about. What does it mean to unify black folks no matter where we are, right? This means Um, What does blackness mean in America compared to what it means in Brazil, compared to what it means in the motherland, um, to all the countries in the motherland? What does that mean? And why is it that far too often when black people come from different countries that we, there's this unspoken and sometimes very spoken um, rift between us? How can we get rid of that? How can we Um, unify and become one, because far too often, that's not the case. And so I wanted to take this time to really educate us and figure out where is the history? Like, why is it that African-Americans feel this way towards Africans? Or why is it that Dominicans feel this way towards Haitians or Haitians feel this way towards African-Americans or whatever it is? Why are these things happening? Why are we not just Black folks whenever we come to America? Because nobody's going, oh, you have an accent, you're a different kind of Black. Like when they see us, we black, right? So I wanted to hop into this um, series letting you know that I think we're going to be in, we are in for a treat and learning about um, all the different places in which we are and what that means when we have come to the U.S. One thing I can say about my upbringing is it wasn't until high school that I was able to I had the opportunity to be around more races and ethnicities. Um, Growing up, it was black, white, Latino, and by Latino, I mean the majority of the population was Mexican. And so, when I transferred schools in high school, that is when um, I was able to be around Indians and Filipinos, and you know there were just so many um, different ethnicities that I was able to learn from. And so, while I I haven't been able to travel the world, the world has been able to travel to me, and that is something that I want us to do um, in this episode. So. I wanted to introduce it before the introduction so uh, that we would understand what's happening with this series and why I wanted to share it. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is we about to get unified. Okay, love y'all. Hey, Black Joy and Bootstraps, the podcast that you really need. Helping my Black community, good vibes, good energy. Black Joy and Bootstraps, top financial literacy, love and education. Wanna see my people elevated, yeah. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Black Joy and Bootstrap Season 2. I am your host, Felicia Jimenez, and I am here today with my boy Benoni Soa. And today we're going to be talking all about unifying the diaspora uh, from here to the motherland to everywhere else that we are. That's what we're going to talk about today. Benoni, um, can you say what's up for the folks and just introduce yourself really quick?
1: Yes, Felicia, thank you for the privilege. Um, my name is Benoni. Soa. I'm originally from Ghana, been in the States for 12 years. I went to BYU, Idaho. That's how I met Felicia. Um, I'm in the Navy, married with a son. He's four. Um, and yeah, that's me.
0: Benoni, I saw this thing the other day where it was like, I cannot remember what it said, but I like re- I, I shared it and it was like, talking about how you don't know anyone's kids in real life but you're like little cyber aunties and uncles so like the kids you post your little back-to-school pictures and you're like oh I cannot believe little Benoni is going to kindergarten this year and that's literally how I feel like you say four and I'm like Benoni there's no way like you just posted the I have a baby pictures like no oh my gosh I'm like
1: very fast
0: I'm shook. So anyway, um, I want to hop right into it because today is super good and I'm so excited about everything. Um, and I just know y'all are gonna fall in love with Benoni. Um, let me tell you, cause I have to say this, Benoni, when we were in college, I met this man and y'all Benoni can cook. Like he, I wish, don't he just look like somebody that can cook? Like he just, y'all Benoni can cook. So this man, um, we met, he be- became my brother instantly. Cooked for me, became my real, real brother. The only thing that separates us is that we are not blood and and location. But anyway, so let's go ahead and get started. Benoni, you said you are from Ghana. Um, I want this to kind of be like high on the hog, even though we can't physically go there. Um, I want you to tell us all about Ghana because I feel like I'm just a little bit ignorant and you know, I've got friends from all over the continent, but I feel like I'm a little bit ignorant. So tell us a little bit about um, Ghana. Tell us a little bit about the history, pre, during, post-colonial um, colonization. Tell, just tell us a little bit about it. Where is it located? Um, That's where we <coughs> start. We know it's in Africa, but where?
1: So Ghana is on the west coast um, of, of Ghana. So if you, if this is the map, Ghana is sitting somewhere on, that, <laughs> on, the, on the west coast um it's uh, it's not well it has a population of currently 24 million people um before colonial era it used to be a huge kingdom it used to be part of the ghana empire so the ghana empire at the time consisted of mali present-day ghana togo benin all those areas were one kingdom until the colonizers came in petitioned all the countries and sectioned us into English speaking and French speaking.
0: Well, teach Um, me something. I did not know that. Okay.
1: Yes, Yeah. So there used to be four kingdoms, the Mali, Ghana, um, Songhai Empire. Those were the the huge empires at the time. Um, And then the British, the Danes came into Ghana at the time, the Dutch came in, and they all came in kind of like a trade. And then from trade, it became missionary. And then like the trade, the slave trade. Um, if you go to present-day Ghana and you go to Cape Coast, um, the Elmina Castle has the um it has a slave castle where everyone who um was enslaved had to go through. So you go to Ghana, it's kind of the gateway. We say it's a gateway to um to Africa, because it actually looks like a gate. And that's where most of the slaves came through. So if anyone is listening to me and you're familiar, your ancestors, their sweat and and blood or something dropped somewhere in that castle before they made it to um, America. or wherever they are at the moment. Um, In 1957, we used to be called the Gold Coast by by the British when they came in because Ghana is rich in gold. And then they changed the name when we gained our independence so we gained an ind- independence in 1957, and the first president, um, Dr Kwame Nkrumah, thought it was wise for the country to have its old name, which is um, Ghana. So we changed from the Gold Coast back to Ghana, which is what it used to be. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yo, I just I'm so excited <laughs> because I know I'm about to learn so much. Also, the door that you're talking about is that the door of no return, like yeah. It okay. Is. So yeah. I've heard that before. So, and I know that other countries do. Other countries also have a door of no return.
1: Um, none that I know of, because the okay. uh, um, main the main settlement areas for slave trade was was in Ghana. So okay. wherever they picked people from, they brought them through, like merchandising. That's always for people to be um, transported. There were other areas too, but the Elmina Castle is like the main one where everyone um, came through. I really want every African-American to go through that door. Like why? I, you're going to make me cry, Felicia. <laughs> so, so here, here is here is why I say so. And, and it will kind of help us go into this. I had a privilege of taking some BYU Idaho students to Ghana. And living in Ghana at the time, It didn't mean anything to me because, like, I just drive by. We went to visit the place when I was in um, high school. And then after coming to America and gaining the American experience, I had the privilege of taking some students from BYU through. And every part of me felt, like, the pain, Mm -hmm. the anguish, the loss, Everything it's it's surreal. Like I don't know how I'm actually tearing up now. I don't know how to explain it, but there is no way you can go through that place and not feel like the The thousands, millions of people, yeah, who have been through. And when the Mm -hmm. door squeaks, you know, like you feel like oh.
0: Oh my gosh. I think we started out like quick. Cause I'm like, ah, okay. So we're going to, we're going to come back to that. Cause I, when I tell you, I, I'm i happy that you did that. I'm also mad that I knew nothing about it. You didn't tell me anything about that. Cause I would have loved that Benoni. So we're going to fight about that off, off camera. Okay. Um, but I do want you to tell me, um, what is going to look like today? So when, um, when we return, if I were to go today, what, what do I expect when I'm walking through the streets of Ghana?
1: So when you when you get to Ghana, first of all, they will know you're not from Ghana. And I'll tell you why they would know. Your skin tone as African-Americans change. Like even mm-hmm. black people, like when we come to the States and go home, your skin tone changes. Like you're still black, but there is some something about your skin color that's different.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, you smell different. So because of the humidity and and heat, any small amount of cologne or any sweet-scented um, fragrance you have on becomes loud. So people would know that you're not one of them from, from Ghana. And when I say you're not one of us, I hope people do not think it's a discriminatory way. It's kind of like, she's not one of us. She right, is one just, of us, but not Just one of that us, we're yeah. not
0: Native. Yes,
1: yes. And the first thing that when they find out you're not one of us, that anyone or most people will tell you is welcome home.
0: Don't tell me that, man. I'm already tearing up like you. Oh, my gosh. So the first thing they're going to tell us when we get there is welcome home. Why? Yes.
1: Because we know now, we know better now than we knew before. That um, our royals, our uh, educated ones, our uh, well-built ones, have been taking, and so when they come back, it's it's just nice to welcome people. And and if you talk about the people who are uh, most hospitable in Africa, I'll say Ghanaians are one of those people. They will smile at you the whole time. Oh. like you're funny they would laugh at you not funny jokes <laughs> yeah
0: it's like an awkward first date but the whole time you're there
1: yeah. they will smile at everything you say and the goal is to make sure you don't leave with a bad experience so they'll 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 take you on a give you a good tour of the place i would say
0: wow um you already got me like tearing up. I'm usually not emotional on my own show, but this is okay. Um, what is one thing? So I love that you said that the hospitality, because you already know me as a southern girl. That is listen, hospitality gets me every time I've been um north, south, east, you know, west in the states. And I'm t- listen, everybody's gonna be offended, but I'm telling y'all, nobody has hospitality down like the South. Like we don't play um, you know, you come into our houses, baby, you want some, you want something to drink, you know, you want some sweet tea, you want, like, it's just, that's just who we are, you know, um, the food, uh, I don't, anyway, so I could get, I can go on and on about that, so I feel like, um, you know, I am Ghanaian at heart, (laughs) even though I got my ancestry, and I'm way more Nigerian, but let me tell you something so funny, when you were, like, they're going to know you're not from here. So when I was at BYU-Idaho, and something you guys have to know about our experience too, Benoni and I's experience, is that um, there were 14,000 students on that campus and Black students uh, made up 0.01%. We were about a hundred and something students on that campus. And so and then the majority of that hundred and something were actually continental Africans um, and not African-Americans. There were fewer African-Americans than there were um, from Africa. And so it was just a different experience. But black is black when you go to BYU, Idaho, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it did not matter. Like we were absolutely. So we were, um, we were all one, you know, and I think that that really, um, connected us and we'll talk, we'll go back to that too. But, um, what do you think is one thing that is like, I know you talked about the hospitality, but like one thing that is unique to Ghanaians, you're like, Nope, that's us right there. That's all us.
1: For me, it's our smile. Like, our people would smile and and we're blessed with good teeth, i say, like most people that I've met, they can't help but show it. So I smile, like I watch TikTok and then sometimes I don't even know where people are from, but they smile and I, I would say they're from Ghana and then you go down and you see the flag or you see something. So it's the one thing that I know, like they smile. And I would say it's just the kind heartedness. Like they're, they're like warm and nice people. Mm-hmm. And so I I know, and then they're off though. Let's not, but let's not go there. But you would know when you when you eat our food, you would know this is a-
0: <laughs> You Listen, we're talking about unifying the diaspora. You finna divide us right here on this show. No, no, that's I'm how gonna...
1: unifying you know. does. <laughs> unify us.
0: I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to let you do it just yet. We might let you do it at the end so you can like cut off and then can't nobody cuss you out. <laughs> but um, so just a few years ago, uh, the Ghanaian president, uh, he issued uh, what was called the year of the return. And so all of y'all's leaders came together and they said, we want our African-American Brothers and sisters. And it doesn't matter literally where we were taken from. They didn't say you have to prove your Ghanaian heritage. They said we want you to come back. And um, so have you heard of the year of return at all?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I
0: want to I want to hear your thoughts on it a little bit, but I do want to say for those, <clears throat> excuse me, that are watching that the year of return was the president saying, Hey. Come back. We will grant you citizenship. We will help you uh become a Ghanaian. We want you back. We love our people. And so hundreds actually of African Americans returned to Ghana and are now expatriates. Like they are literally um living in Ghana. And some just went to visit. Some went to visit and were like, okay, what does this look like? Uh, you know, let me just experience Ghana. So some went to visit and some stayed they're literally still there so tell me a little bit about that um Benani what, what were your feelings about that
1: um it's the one thing that I'm very proud that when the president did um inviting everyone to come home um if you've ever had any deep African-American Africa conversation with me, it's the one thing that I always say that African Americans need to return home.
0: You've said that um, since day what? one, since I met yes. you. And okay. I remember, um, and this is something I want to say too, just throw out there, that when I first met Ben um, and this is, he did not have anything against interracial marriages. He did not at all want that to be said, because when I say this line, I don't want people thinking, some, you know, no type of way, but or feeling no type of way. But he said, when Africans come over here and they marry, and specifically in our church, it is very common to marry um, white people, So like I said earlier, in our church, because BYU-Idaho is a church school, um, you have 14,000 students on a campus and only 100 and something are black. If you're not compatible, then obviously, right, you are going to marry someone white. And Benoni said this about not just white people, um, but black people, too, but specifically for the white people, because they don't tend to go back at all. He said, and I remember you saying this, Benoni, you were like when an African marries, specifically a white person um, at our school, that is the end of them going back to Africa. They never go back home. Uh, And I thought that was just super interesting. You were like, they will rarely even go to visit, but it is the end of almost their African roots because they tend to assimilate, they tend to not. and, And it was just so deep for me to hear that about them not going back. So Anyway, keep going. I just had to interject that because it was something that it, it stayed with me, and we've seen that a lot, you know. And not to say that they have to go back, you know what I mean. But anyway, he told me all that, and it really stayed with me. But baby, he wasn't playing because Benoni went back and got him a Ghanaian wife. What? Anyway, moving on to what you said. <laughs> back to what you were saying. So um, we were there. You want us to be welcome back? It felt great.
1: Yes. Um, so it's. It's, it's a one thing that I'm excited that we've done as a as a country because I, I really want everyone to go home. I really want everyone to... And that takes me to this conversation thing that I'd always say. And, and I hope anyone who is watching this knows this. You will fight for the rest of your life at a table that you would never be given a seat at. Like you would never have a seat at this table because it is not your table. If you want to fight for any seat, go build your own. Go build your own from scratch because there'll be different ways to get you. There'll be different ways to get you. You will get a piece of the seat, but then there'll be no food on the table. You'll get the food on the table, but there'll be no seat to seat. So you would never have it. You will fight for the rest of your life and never have it. And if you're listening to me today, this is not anti-white. This is not anti-any country or anything. It is just the truth of it. If you're here for economic reason, stay all you want. But ultimately, you need to align yourself with your roots. Wow. If you are not aligned with your roots, you will fight for the rest of your life at a table that you would never have.
0: Listen, you sound like the color purple, like, oh, my life, I had to fight. And that's how <laughs> we feel right now. I mean, as African-Americans, especially, <clears throat> excuse me as African-Americans especially, that is so, you spoke to so many of our souls in saying that, and we have this fear, right? Because for 400 years, this is what many of us, this is the only thing we've known, right? Like, how do you leave something that your roots are here? Like, well, sorry, not your African roots, but the roots of your people who fought and died, you know what I'm saying, are here, but your people, um, where you belong, is somewhere else. And that's that's really difficult to hear. Boy, you're just gonna have me emotional this whole time. Let me move on before I start crying on here. <clears throat> so tell me about, because again, this is, I'm calling this unifying the diaspora for a reason. Um, we all know, and it's not uh, a secret that Africans and African-Americans, we have this like rift within us and I'm over it. Right. Like, and I think that so much of it is rooted in white supremacy and the divide and conquer tactics where we think if we can tell them, if we can tell the Africans that they're not African-American and we can tell the African-Americans that they're not African, then we can continue to to oppress them. Right. But and like you said, one thing that I love that you said is you were like, we're learning more now. We're more educated yeah. now. We know that y'all are us. And I think that that is the same thing that's happening here with this movement in America is we're like, no, 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 baby, we African, like, yeah, we black, we African, we African Americans, you know, whatever it is. Um, And so I want to know what, what were your thoughts about African Americans before you came here? What were the things that you were told? Ooh, I'm ready. Um, I'm scared. Keep going. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so before I came to the States, I am, I'm an 80s child. So everything I watched on the news was the wall and crack. It was during that era. So just imagine that every time we tune into the news, which our, our news station at, at the time would capture American news, British news all over the world. And they'll capture the war on drugs. And everything we see on the TV are just Black people in police cars the whole time. So imagine growing up and seeing someone of your kind on the other side of the continent. And every time you see them on the news, they're in like handcuffs. They've done something wrong. The president has to crack down on them. There's something wrong. There's always something to be said. And I, there was a time that I always thought I don't know if I like the African-Americans there. Like, I feel like our people left and they become a different kind of people on the other side.
0: Yeah.
1: And they're rogues. They don't go to school. They're lazy. There's all these opportunities for them to do well, but they're not doing well. And so if you lived in, if you lived on the motherland, you always felt like those on this side are not taking advantage of all the things that they can take advantage of. Mm And so I came here. And then when I came here and then I, when you experience the African-American life in America, you can relate. Now, not all the Africans can relate. They're still African who have their mindset. The African-Americans are lazy and they're rogues and they're criminals and they have the mindset. It, it takes education. It's open to understanding the story from the beginning to the end to be able to understand the African-Americans. I was saying, Felicia, the one thing that we cannot connect with African-Americans is sometimes it's the accent. It's not that we don't know what to do. Right. Sometimes I just don't understand what they said. <laughs> Some people say something and then I look stupid because I cannot understand them. And they think I'm supposed to be able to understand, but I cannot understand what they said. Mm-hmm. So it we, like, you can tell that we want to vibe, but I, I'm not understanding what they said. Mm-hmm. I was in Mississippi.
0: Oh my gosh. And, I can and, know. This,
1: and this guy was talking to me, and I promise you, I left and asked if he spoke English. Because <laughs> I couldn't tell what he said. And he probably left thinking, who is this guy that like? And I was trying to smile at everything he said, the typical Ghanaian, like trying to smile. Mm-hmm. Said, but I did not understand anything he said. But that's the light side of it. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is I feel like there is of african-americans who feel like those of us who were in here are responsible for what happened Mm. i i i honestly agree that nobody can take your people if they do not have the consent of someone at home so yes there were people who were lost there were people who were captured but there were people who also played a role you would always have the people who sell out and so yes there were sellouts and, and I don't speak for the whole continent, but if someone is listening to me today, I apologize on the behalf of all those who did that to you. Um, if we could have the benefits of hindsight to know what was going to happen, I'm sure a lot of them would not do it. And so um, I'm not going to say get over it, but I'm going to say it's already happened. Um, let's look at now. Those of us who live now, You are the descendants of slavery. We are the descendants of people who sold you. But we apologize for our people and we want you to accept the apology on behalf of your people as well. Um, I don't think it's right. And I also think another reason why we cannot connect is there's also that fear of the African-American. Because if all your life, all you've seen is someone arrested and with drugs and all of that, there's always that fear, like when you run into them, if it's not in a setting where you it's a controlled setting, there's mm-hmm. always that initial fear, like what's he gonna do to me? And even though we're the same skin color, there's always that like them and us mindset with us.
0: So oh my gosh, that was just so good. I just been on the yard, you already know, I could always listen to you talk forever and ever. Um, but I want to say this too, as an educator, um. I have taught many African students, the majority of whom are from Nigeria. We have a, I wouldn't say high Nigerian population, but the population of Africans that we have are predominantly Nigerian. And each one, right, I have become a part of their family. I just love them so much. But it was also really interesting it's always interesting as a teacher, as an activist, as a black woman to see the difference in my African students and my African-American students. And um, I am not comparing them as far as intellect because all my students are brilliant regardless. But there is a difference in knowing where you come from and watching my African students. Like every year I was just the wisdom that they have please do not misunderstand what I am saying. I am not bashing my African-American students, nor am I saying they are not as wise, but there is power in knowing your history and knowing your roots and where you come from and having this attached culture that is different from me and my students as African-Americans. And so it was always really powerful to see and some of my students obviously that were straight from nigeria they wanted to get rid of their accents as soon as possible and i always told them you're going to regret that you are absolutely going to regret that later when you come into your own you are going to regret going by your american middle name um, as opposed to your you know longer first name that maybe we can learn how to pronounce we can learn how to say Mm -hmm. Uh, and so but there was like this entire there is this jealousy even now like I'm learning more about my culture I'm learning more about my roots and there's still this jealousy um towards y'all like man y'all just know you know what I mean like I just like you I, I don't know so I I love it though because I'm like we are everything that's meant to be together will be together. And I feel like we will find each other again. And like you said, the way you're just pleading us to come home, I think that we will resonate with that message. I think that we will say it's time. You know, I don't care if it's for a visit, but we will learn like this is this is where home is. And I think that this is why I always connect with Africans more, yeah.
1: Let me, let me ask all African-Americans this why is it that the first trip you ever make when you make money is europe oh my gosh why but you want reparation you want them to give you money for enslaving you but you invest your money in the in your place inflation is the same thing that when they tell the african story it has to be a group of people who are not having food to eat right so that you are afraid to go back mm-hmm. But let me let me let me let me always give you a picture and and somehow this is this is how i think it is it's it's so orchestrated that people actually play into it and they don't realize that they do but i anytime i talk to any african american and i love when i have those one-on-one moments with them Mm -hmm. because i always use the idea of um a kidnapper how many of you would want to live in the home of the person who kidnapped you? Would you say, well, he kidnapped me for 400 years and I helped build that dining table. So I still want to be there even when he frees you? No, you would want to go where you belong. But the the good thing that has been done is your home has been made to look very bad.
0: Just like we were made to look very bad here, so they have done the same thing to us. Because when I'm looking, and I did not mean to interrupt, but I had to say this, when I'm looking at the pictures of my friends going back, I have, and my husband and I, Randall, we talk about this all the time. We have zero desire to go to Europe, especially not first. Like there are some places where, like, oh, that'd be cool to go one day, but our big trip, the trip we save money, like we want to go to the continent. We want to go back home. We want to see our roots. I mean, we'll talk about that too, because my husband is also black, but. Dominican so like just that we so you ain't talking to us I don't feel um ashamed I ain't going to Europe (laughs) but um (laughs) I have this intense burning and yearning desire to go um and be with my people right and to sit amongst them and oh my gosh you just got me started but anyway yeah carry on so that one-on-one conversation so don't
1: there's yeah there's no invest in your continent and so they've made it's like okay, you're gonna get malaria when you go to Africa. You don't have a place to live. Um, the water is not good. Um, it's all people who do not have food to eat. Mm-hmm. There are people in America who don't have food to eat. They don't have a place to stay. If you're worried about wild animals, there are places in America you cannot walk at night. So it's it's a giving. It's a it's a give and take. You get to choose like what you want to do with Mm -hmm. your life. And I feel like, take the chance and go home. That's your home. Like how well to stress this, but can you imagine being somewhere that you can walk and no one is going to tell you, you cannot be at. Wow. And for us Africans who have known, there is no freedom in America for any black person period. There is no freedom. For those of us who have known freedom, we know the difference between freedom, living at home and here. And those of us you see here, a lot of us are here for the economic reason. I believe in economic migration. If you have to migrate for economic reason, but my heart would always know where I'm from. And I feel like, can you imagine, like a friend invites me to to meet somewhere and I show up and I'm late or I'm early and I'm waiting for response. And right there, I'm beginning to panic that I'm holding a phone and I'm standing somewhere and there's no direction of which way to go, I hope someone doesn't think I'm a threat. I never felt that way when I lived in Ghana. I never ever worried about someone thinking I'm where I'm not supposed to be or a certain time of the day I'm where I'm not supposed to be yet. That is freedom. There can be the idea of freedom That, oh, you're walking around, you get to vote, you get to do everything. But if you constantly have to fight for something, just give it up. Just Um, give it up.
0: I feel so. You're telling me there's no Karens in Ghana, especially now with power.
1: (laughs) Where? (laughs) Look, in every home. Okay, in every home there will be yeah. always that little differences, the tribal differences, the regional differences. But let me tell you this: ultimately, ultimately, when it comes down to it, our people are always our people. Like, especially in Ghana, like we would have elections and people would say, "Oh, it's gonna go, it's gonna go very badly." There's so much tension on the day of election in Ghana. Felicia, if I tell you there's not gonna be war the next day on the day of election in Ghana, you would not believe it. Cause there's that tension mm-hmm. of like, who is gonna be the next president, um, And politics in Ghana is always kind of tribal too. So there's always a tribal aspect of it. And you feel the tension like, okay, it's gonna go bad. And people get worried about the whole thing. The re- results will be announced. And people will be like, oh, I don't believe in the verdict. I think there is a rigging election and everything. But ultimately, they'll tell you, look, it is not worth it to fight our own people. So we will fight at home, but ultimately, we are one people. Like, we would always know that we have each other. And I feel like when you come here, that sense of freedom is taken away from you. And there is kind of a, a false sense of freedom that many African-Americans have here, that, oh, I'm free. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. At a phone call today, you cannot have the same privilege. A phone call today can change your life for good. Wow. So like, where is the freedom really?
0: Benoni, this man finna have me pack my bags tonight. I'm not finna keep playing with you. You hey. in California in the military <laughs> and I'm you gonna have me pack my bags to go to (laughs) Ghana because I need to go home. Um, I wanna go back to a question really quick um, and then we can move forward. But I wanted to ask you, what did you do? Because we talked about everything that you learned and you saw, and it really reminds me, I don't know, have you ever seen Trevor Noah's up where he's talking about, he's talking about his first um, time in America. I think it was his first time, but he's talking about how the commercial comes on with the kids and the flies and their, you know, and he's like, Oh my gosh, he's like, Where is this? This has got to be Detroit, <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I think about that all the time because he's like, I am from South Africa, and I've never seen, you know, he's like, We have poverty, but I've never seen skinny, big body, big bellied, you know, fly that like he's like, I've never seen anybody that poor. And so He was talking, and I think that was um, the start of opening my eyes to the propaganda that you you spoke about, right? Like that he's over here like, is that Detroit? And I'm like, okay, he ain't too far off. (laughs) Like, you know, we've got some places (laughs) here where, you know, that's the way that those kids look and that picture is not too far off from places that I have seen here in the States. So you're right when you say, pick what it is that you want to do because we can see these same images in a white world with white supremacy and white structures, or we can see them where, um, you know, colonizers have also done that, but we are the majority and we are home. So what battle would you like to fight? Um, Now with saying all of that, here's my question to you. What did you do to help rid yourself of, like, uh, like shed yourself of the things that you had grown up seeing? Like, what did you do?
1: Um, I think that education changes everything. Because even though, like, the education, we don't even talk so much about African-Americans back home. Like, our education system doesn't talk much about African. We talk about slavery. And most of our books back home actually tell us what the colonizers did for us, the roads they built, the hospitals they built, the things they did.
0: So nothing is different.
1: Yeah, so it's more like, oh, they built roads, they they developed the area they lived in. I went to Lincoln Memorial High School in Ghana. hmm
0: hmm
1: <laughs> Yes. So that's how bad it, it is that we actually idolize these people and and it's still there's still that effect, so it's more of education. But this is this is what helped me get this. Um, it, I think the stages in life and the people you run into change you, because I run into African Americans, and I thought that BYU Idaho was a controlled environment, so the African Americans I'm meeting there shared the same values of religion as I did. But when I when I when I meet people. Who, who don't share their with African-Americans. I can connect with them the same way as I do with the people at BYU-Idaho. And the one thing that I, I have to come to terms with is the African-Americans who are rogues, the African-Americans who are thieves, the African-Americans who do all sorts of things. Like what we see on P- TV is the real representation of the people, but did they choose to suddenly do that? what is the root cause of why they are the way they are and so if I'm thinking if a white female after a week of a little trauma thinks that she needs five years of therapy how many years of how many years of therapy do African Americans need after 400 years
0: Wow who
1: you are is it's not something that happened over a week it's something that happened centuries like years and years. So this is a result of a 500 years of a little guy in Chicago. So I'm not faulting him and running away from him. I'm really mad at what led to him being the way he is. Because if he grew up as an American, had the same um, upbringing as an American, you'd think there would be rogues. So every time they say Africans are not rogues or they're not like bad people, but African-Americans are. We never went through the trauma that African-American went through through so accept i accept african americans those who i feel like they don't fit their mode of like proper i accept them for who they are because i don't think that they chose to be like that and and i don't think it even helps them to be that way it's a mindset thing you know it's how they think it's so i'll, I'll share this experience with you i met some kids from liberia and there was, there was a conflict in Liberia. And these kids have been so traumatized that when you clap, there's four of them, their big brother would take the three kids, the three younger ones, and he would lay on top of them. Wow. And you just clapped. So I'm thinking, this is these people for just what, five, ten 10 years? This is who they've become. Why do I now get mad about African Americans who are having issues now? It's, Mental health in the Black community is real.
0: yeah.
1: And I don't think your mental state will be the same if you get the treatment that you got for 400 years. If there is anything I have love and compassion for my people that they didn't choose to be the way they are now.
0: One of the things that I'm looking at is um, all the studies right now that are saying how um, trauma is passed through the womb. From the mother to the child i think that it's just a very interesting dynamic that we're learning all these things and yet african americans are the people that are still getting the least amount of um, help with mental health we are and and empathy when it comes to the things that we do within our community it's the least amount of empathy it's like you should know better you're this you're that um so anyway i wanted to because but only this conversation you have changed me today. Like, I love you, you You already know that. Um, And I appreciate you, always appreciate your wisdom and your thoughts and your empathy and everything. But if you could give one piece of advice to your African brothers and sisters and your African-American brothers and sisters, what would it be in terms of unifying um, the diaspora?
1: I would say, that we miss you and we are happy that our story is getting told now i feel like now we know your story we technology has helped us to understand your story it's not then where we only have to read a newspaper that someone moved over now you can go live and tell us your story now we see live all the things you've been through and there's the majority of us who share in your pain. Your pain is our pain as well. And, and your joy is our joy. Like we, we want to be part of the struggle. And Felicia, believe it or not, African Africans actually have actually been for the civil rights in Africa. And African Americans have actually fought for freedom of Africans as well. So it's been, it's been like a, a two-way street, anyway, like in a way that. Here in America, there were people in America who were fighting for freedom for people in South Africa, in Ghana, in Togo, in mm-hmm. other places. And there were Africans who actually did the same thing on the other side. So the fight has always been both ways. But I will drive the nail in the same direction. Please come home. Just come home. If you want to stay here for the money, please stay. But ultimately, you have a home somewhere. Go and build it. If I have any advice.
0: Wow. Um, so I just wanted to share this really quick because um, I think it's important. So in 2011, I used to stay with this African family for a little bit, a few months, and um, Mama and Papa Chingaya are what I call them. And they're a lot they have three sons. Uh, and I remember Mama Chingaya is a nurse. Uh, she's been in the nursing field forever. She is talented. She is beautiful. She is brilliant. Um, And I am blessed to, you know, have her as my mom, (laughs) as one of my moms, because, you know, we got a whole bunch in our community. Um, And so I will never forget the day she came home from work and she said, oh, Felicia, let me tell you what happened today. (laughs) And I said, yes, mama, what happened? And she said, this white woman, she told me, oh, you know, and I know she thought she was giving me a compliment. She tells me, oh uh you're not like the other black so you work so hard you're so smart Sylvia and when I tell you my that woman's head was spinning I was like so she's like hopefully <laughs> oh, you know what I told her and I said mom tell me what you told her because <laughs> you know me I'm petty I'm like mom what you tell her? So, <laughs> so she's like oh I couldn't I she said I could barely get it out but I told her she's like I told her you don't, you don't get to do that. I am black, just like they are black. We are the same. If I am brilliant, they are brilliant. Um, and just because I work hard, does not mean that I am different from them. Um, and so she went on and like, I was like, you said all of that. (laughs) And she was like, Oh, she said, I had to take a break after because I was so mad. Um, but it, it made me happy that she is also one that understood that, you know, And this is something that, that happens all the time between Africans and African-Americans is that people love to brag on Africans and they love to tell you how you are different from us, that divide and conquer mentality, right? Um, but at the end of the day, we're not. We are the same people and Africans would be who we are had they had the exact same experiences, which in a lot of ways, our histories are the same. Again, you went to Lincoln Memorial. Did you not? (laughs) You said that, right? I (laughs) did. So, I mean, we have such similar histories. The only thing is at the end of the day, when we are in the motherland, like you said, we get to fight and then we get to know, but we're still one, right? We're fighting against a system that was never set Mm -hmm. up and intended for us to grow or be free or any of that. Um, so and I want to say this last thing too it was it's another line from Trevor Noah but he said uh, people always ask him how did you colonize a country like an entire country of Black people and how did y'all like how did y'all allow white people to conquer you or whatever and he said he has to remind them one that they had guns (laughs) Um, and that's important for the story but he also said that they were manipulative, that colonizers were manipulative when they came over and the divide and conquer. And I never thought about it this way, but he said the divide and conquer was real in the sense that what they did was they said, oh, you're part of the Debele tribe. Don't worry, we're coming after the Shona tribe. And oh, if you're, if you're part of the Shona, don't worry, we're coming after the Zulu. We're coming after the Afrikaans. We're coming after whatever, 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 right? Because it's not like I'm too learned in all of the tribes, but he said that they would make them feel safe so that their people Right. That tribalism that you were talking about so that their people could feel safe while they slaughtered others. But then once they were done slaughtering, those is when they came to these. Right. And they Mm -hmm. had already broken so many. And I think that that's such an important conversation that we lack in this because we often are divided and then we're being conquered when we need to be united so that we can grow and live and be free. Yes.
1: Lisa, let me let me add this. Christianity was the whole reason why it was easy to colonize Africa. Mm. If you sit today in America and think voodoo is evil, that is the problem. Mm. If you can pray to a doll called Mary, but you do not pray to that little doll you have in your shrine, it's the same thing. Mm. You play, you pray to a man that you don't know, his name is Jesus. And you say your prayers to him but you do not believe that someone in ghana was able to do some miracle let me tell you this my own tribe okay in my own tribe so my in my tribe we if we were to go into the israelite time and that's how the tribes are my tribe will be the levite tribe so we're like the priests and then so my people were the ones that kept like the the history of the shrine and they perform miracles and he's going to be like, my great, 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 I know how long, grandfather. Um, the story is still t- told till today, that there was a time when there was, it was during the, so during the festival era, people, the women cooked with fish, and there was no fish at the, t- at the time. And if anyone wants to look into this, his name is Wolache Odamite. So he's the, he was a priestess from my from my family home. And he so there's in in our shrine back home, there's this um, vessel that they have herbs that grew in. So the herbs grew in a pot. And so he took it and he went and dumped it in the ocean. And he told the fishermen to go back and go get fish. And Felicia, believe me, these people went back and there was fish. They had gone fishing the weeks before and there was nothing. They come back and they had no fish. They came back and there was fish. There was so much fish that day than they've ever had. But if I tell you this story, you say that's voodoo. But you would believe that a man somewhere walked on water. Mm. And the man found disciples whose name were Peter, James, and John in Israel. Are there Peter and James and John (laughs) in Israel today, present day? No. So Christianity was what they used if you visit the dungeon in, in the Elmina Castle, right on top of the, uh, right below the church were the dungeons. So the priest is saying a prayer to God, but below him, there are women who are sitting in their own shape. There are women who are wow. sitting in their own periods. And I'm not going to say it in a different, a nice way because they didn't have anywhere to ease themselves. So they sat in it. They sat there with their wives below this this priest is a man who is going to walk away from his wife He is going to see his wife taking a woman a child is going to see his mom taking so christianity believe me is the reason why they it was easy for them to colonize because they stripped us of our names now my name is benoni where did i get benoni from hmm. my name is my name is supposed to be Nisowa. like i'm a royal my name is supposed to so today I go by Benoni. I go by a consistent name. I'm cool with it. And that's what's me on my records. I can't do anything. I don't have the time to change it. But you, they strip you of your name and they strip you of your religion. And when you lose your religion, that's the end for you. Until, and this is something I'm also saying to all Africans and African-Americans, until we find our true religion, which is the traditional African religion, we will never know peace. Because look at India. They have Hinduism, which is very true to them. You go to Asia, they have their own Taoism and Confucian and all the Shibuddhism. It's very true to them. You come to us, we have all the religions and mm. it breaks us because now I think I'm a Mormon, you're Pentecostal, you're this, you're that and it breaks us. But our true religion is what we need. If we do not find our own religion, we will constantly and for the rest of our lives be in need of the white man to save us. Because the white Jesus never saved us.
0: Mm.
1: He did not save us. So find your true religion. Go back to your ancestry and find healing through herbs. Like, it makes me mad. Like, how is that evil? How is using herbs evil? But go to the shrines today. There are white people in the shrines today in Ghana learning. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are learning Mm to be shamanist they're learning to be traditional like give birth like their natural way of giving birth they're learning to use our herbs and trust me in 100 years if we don't change they will come back and convert us from Christianity to our own religion
0: wow damn you hit it that that's the part that hit if we don't find it they will come back and oh my gosh okay but I'm going to cut you off because we got to be done on that note. Right. Um, but I want to say this um, in closing. Uh, you are correct in, in in everything. I have learned, I've been learning more um, about my roots and and ridding myself of a lot of the Western ways that we've been taught to do things. And anyway, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, But it's also not any different from the history. We know that Africans taught um, the colonizers that came. We taught them how to do C-sections. We taught them how to do these modern day surgeries that we taught them so much um, and all the spices that they stole and still and be used. But okay, so we taught a lot, right? Um, Benoni, I just wanna say that um, I love you and I appreciate your wisdom and everything uh, that you have brought today. I have one last question and then we're going to cut off. Who has the best jollof rice in Africa?
1: Ghana has the best jollof <laughs> in Africa. It's <laughs> close, like it is not an argument. <laughs> Listen, y'all we heard are, it here we,
0: first. We,
1: we are allowing the argument because, and let me tell all Nigerians this, if you start a cold conversation, if you start the jollof rice, now, Nigerians say they use jasmine and bismati and all that for jollof. Ask them, if you start the whole conversation with that Mame meka rice, they have some rice in Nigeria that they use. It's called Mame meka rice. That rice is not tasty. If you start the whole conversation with that rice and say that's the jollof, no, case close. I, I don't know, you know, it's, it is. Benoni, you, you got to stop. Okay, out.
0: so we, guys, we just unified the diaspora and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Benoni is dividing us. I I never asked that question. I don't even know what happened. So, Um, but again, I thank you so much. Jollop
1: unifies us though.
0: (laughs) Jollop does unify us. The
1: fight fight about Jollop is what makes us know Mm -hmm. that we're actually Africans. Like we're feuding over food. It's what makes us know.
0: (laughs) I love it so much. Um, Benoni, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I was... uh, I'm I'm just grateful to you and that's that's what I want to say I'm grateful to you thank you for unifying us uh with our African brothers and sisters even more so I appreciate that thank you thank <laughs> you for having me Hey guys you've just listened to another episode of Black Joy and Bootstraps with your host Felicia Jimenez and I have a couple things I need you to do One I need you to subscribe right here right now wherever you're listening to me so that you never miss an episode in the future okay The second thing I need you to do is follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Black Joy and Bootstrap so that you can receive all of our content, not just our podcast episodes. Okay? Um, As you already know, our goal is to each one, teach one, and we cannot do that without you. So thank you guys so much. Till next time.